we are live. For everyone tuning in, you are listening to the Reformed and Restored podcast run by Charlie Probsky and Joshua Reynolds. For more information, check out our YouTube channel, Reformed and Restored. To participate in these live broadcasts, join us live on YouTube uh, on Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. That schedule is tentative in the future. Uh, And if you want to donate, we will in a few months be beginning a Patreon service that we will be linking in the description below. Glad to have you join us, YouTube members. And uh, this discussion will be on the covenant, the covenant between God and his people. And so we want to begin this discussion by stating the simplest definition of the covenant that God has made with his people. And that is simply that God has stated that he is our God and we are his people. God says, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And so he calls us to be one people unto himself. Uh, those people that are elect uh, through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, and those people then he brings into his covenant. So we're here to describe what is the covenant. Um, the covenant God uh, always deals with through his people. So uh, God always deals with his people through a contract. Uh, never does God not uh, deal with a member of his created, uh, the, the created personage of mankind without uh, entering into covenant with him. It is a relationship, a very special relationship that requires vow-taking, similar to um, similar to the covenant of marriage, where you have the husband and wife swear vows to each other that they will be faithful. God, because there is nothing higher than God, he swears by himself that he will be faithful to his people. Uh, and then he requires certain things for his people to do in order to be faithful to him. So uh, God only deals with his people through a special relationship. This relationship is called the covenant. And there has been two covenants through redemptive history. There's been the covenant of works and there has been the covenant of grace. Um, Without either, God has never dealt with his people other than through one of these two covenants. So when God created Adam and Eve, um, he said to him, you will eat of every tree of the garden except from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From that tree you cannot eat. You cannot um, eat that fruit lest you die. And so that was the covenant of works. The fact that God says, I bless you with all this fruit, with this land. Go, fill the earth, subdue it. Uh, But you cannot do this one thing. Uh, And if you do this one thing, you've broken the covenant. You have broken the contract that I have created with you. And of course, what did Adam do? Uh, He sinned, he fell, he broke the covenant uh, of works. Uh, Eve first and Adam after, but Eve through being deceived and Adam through rebellion. Um, And so God created a new covenant. This was something that did not surprise him. He had decreed this from eternity past, but he created the covenant of grace. And the covenant of grace covers the sins of the covenant of works uh, only through the personhood and the work of Jesus Christ, uh, his only son. So what do you think, uh, Charlie, about the um, covenant of grace and the covenant of works and how those two covenants relate together? Um, <clears throat> yeah, they, uh, they're very important. I think they're sort of uh, crucial to understanding the gospel because um, we have to understand, you know, how are we in the position that we are? Why are we, um, without God's grace, bound to a sinful nature and uh, that's because under the covenant of works, Adam was our federal head, and now under the uh, new covenant, Christ is our federal head, and uh, ultimately, <clears throat> that's why we are saved. Because uh, Adam, when Adam represented us, 
and sinned, uh, we inherited a uh, sinful nature. And now, because Christ represents us, God sees us, um, mm. and we are or sees Him, and we are justified because of uh, Christ's obedience. Um, so, in the same, the same uh, sort of headship that uh, from Adam caused us to need a Savior, uh, now Christ's headship saves us. Mm. Yes. Uh, headship, absolutely. I uh, love how you said headship, because it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that in Adam all sin, uh, in Adam all fell and uh, plunged into a state of, as the Westminster uh, divines say, into an estate of sin and misery. So uh, the fact is that we inherit the sins of our parents. Uh, and this is a just thing. It's 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 because our parents, um, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they represented the whole human race. Uh, and so when they sinned, they brought sin into themselves, but also into the world. They brought it into God's created uh, world. And because of that, we all inherit this sin. And so uh, everything we do is tainted with sin, which leads into the doctrine of total depravity, not utter depravity, um, Utter depravity is a false doctrine that states that we are as bad as we can possibly be. Uh, but rather, uh, total depravity simply means that all of our being is tainted with the effects of sin. That there is no part of us right now that is uh, actually perfect. Because uh, we are sinners, we are fallen, we have broken the law of God. And God's word says, if you've broken the law in one spot, you've broken it in every spot. Uh, so Adam is our federal head. Uh, in Adam, all of us have sinned. But Christ has made a new federal headship under himself. Uh, and so Christ has actually redeemed certain individuals uh, from the race, from, from the federal headship of Adam, uh, whereas Adam used to be our representative, now Christ is our new representative. Uh, and so we actually have a new federal head under the covenant of grace, that inside this uh, covenant, we uh, are now absolved of our sin because Christ filled the law in our place. Uh, and so because he kept the law perfectly. He has placed his righteousness upon us as though we had kept the law uh, perfectly, which is why uh, it's called a covenant of grace because uh, it is solely of God's grace. It was not uh, anything that we merited, anything that we actually did in and of ourselves to um, come up with the righteousness that we needed in order to be uh, cleansed in the eyes of God, but rather it's it's a foreign righteousness, or as uh, the reformers say, it's an alien righteousness. It's something outside of ourselves um, that we did not inherit. We inherited sin from our parents, but rather God has placed his righteousness upon us, and that's why it's called a, a covenant of grace. Um, there are, within the covenant structure, because God is a God of order, he's not a God of chaos, he uh, always deals with his people through covenant, and he has structured that covenant in a specific way. So there are certain things within the covenant that uh, God always does when he speaks to his people. And that covenant structure can be defined in five points. Um, it's an acronym that can be uh, kind of easy to remember, at least it helps me to remember it. It's called the acronym Theos, T-H-E-O-S, uh, Theos, which is the Greek word for God. Uh, and that acronym Theos uh, can describe how God relates to his uh, people. So the T stands for transcendence. I know it's a big word, but essentially transcendence means that God is higher than his people. God is God. He's infinite. He's on the heavenly throne. We are uh, finite beings, mortal beings. 
uh, obviously not infinite. Uh, and so God uh, is transcendent above us. So God is our God. We are his people. If you remember the simple, simplest definition of the covenant, God is our God. We are his people. That means that God is above us. Uh, he is transcendent over us. H stands for historical prologue. So, Charlie, how does uh, historical prologue relate to the covenant? How has God actually revealed himself to his people in historical settings? Um, I mean, he reveals himself uh, through covenants. Um, I guess you could say also through prophets. But um, hmm. uh, often the prophets are the ones who, uh, who God makes the covenant with, uh, such as like in the Old Covenant. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Moses and um, mm. Abraham and Joshua and so on. Or, um, <clears throat> yeah, mm. um, I don't yeah. have a ton to say about that. Another way I've heard to uh, to uh, for the H point on Theos is uh, hearing God and heeding his hierarchy. Um, yes, but I like hierarchy. how you put it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, that is really good point. Um, with historical prologue, it it also has been defined as hierarchy. Um, I like the specifically. I think I like the historical prologue better simply because um, the hierarchy is almost, at least, wise. In my understanding, it, it's almost part of the transcendence, the the first point, uh, because it's it's essentially saying that you know God is over us, uh, over His people, that you know He is higher than us. Um, inside of this covenantal structure, but they're essentially one and the same uh, because inside of hierarchy, historically, uh, you have the, the king, uh, whenever he would make a covenant with his people, uh, as Christ is the king of kings, uh, but whenever inside of human history you had the king that would make a covenant with his people, uh, it was always stated that uh, that there that there is hierarchy, you know, he's the Lord and his people are the vassals. Uh, and then he would always state within that covenant what he has done um, or the, you know, the things that he has given to his people uh, to earn their respect, um, which is sort of part of uh, historical prologue, the fact that um, God, when he laid out the uh, I always think of the the example of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20. Before he lists the Ten Commandments, he says, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So therefore, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Yeah, which is naturally, uh, just one point we sort of disagree with the dispensationalists. Um, that mm. prologue to the Ten Commandments, I mean, that's naturally gracious. That's a gracious act by God that he even... Um, makes that covenant yes yes absolutely yes amen yes the, it's the fact that um the fact that because he has redeemed us his people uh, he's become our kinsman redeemer um which is what the story of ruth is all about that uh christ is our kinsman redeemer as boaz was ruth's uh kinsman redeemer uh, but because of that you know he has he saved us he's delivered us because of that we owe him worship uh, instead of worshiping any other created thing um as as god says in the prophet isaiah uh isaiah chapter 40 but also in several other places that you know idols cannot see, cannot hear, cannot taste, cannot touch, and they cannot deliver. Uh, they cannot deliver anyone from their sins uh, or even from the least of their troubles, uh, which is why he says, those who worship them become like unto them. Uh, they become deaf and dumb, and, and their reason deteriorates when they worship things other than God, because God alone is, is worthy of worship. So you have the T, transcendence. You have H, which is 
classified as either hierarchy or historical prologue. Uh, then you have the uh, E, which is uh, ethical stipulations. Um, so essentially in this covenantal contract, God says what he has done, and then he says what he, he expects of us to do. Uh, and so within ethical stipulations, you have the law. That's the, uh, the oracles of God, uh, ethics, uh, ethical stipulations. You have those principles that govern how we are to live, what we are to do, uh, and how we are to uh, think of God uh, rightly and uh, accordingly. So uh, ethical stipulations is the, the third point of the covenantal contract. The fourth point is uh, the O in Theos, going through the acronym Theos, and it stands for Oaths and Sanctions. And so this is the vow-taking uh, that we mentioned earlier, uh, the fact that in this covenantal contract, very much like in a marriage contract, uh, God swears vows that he will be faithful unto us, and he requires us to swear vows to him. Uh, that's what we do when we repent of our sins. Uh, it is essentially a, a turning away from our sin with full intent uh, to abandon the old self and to follow uh, Christ and Christ alone. And obviously we need uh, God's help in every step of that process. So it's the Lord that gives us a new heart. It's the Lord that gives us the faith uh, to seek him. And then it's the Lord that actually sanctifies us throughout uh, our lives. But he still requires, he still requires the law of us, even though we cannot keep it. Uh, he requires it of us. He has fulfilled it. So we are no longer condemned by the law. The law does no longer, uh, the law no longer condemns the Christian, but rather it actually um, becomes a, uh, the way, uh, the life of the Christian. Uh, Christians were actually, before they were called Christians at Antioch, uh, they were called the people of the way because they followed the way of Christ and the life of Christ. And so you have the, uh, the fourth point of the covenant, oaths and sanctions. And then you have the fifth point of the covenant being succession. That's the S in Theos, T-H-E-O-S. Uh, the S is uh, succession. So succession means what happens in the next generation? How is this covenant preserved? through the ages? How is it preserved throughout all of redemptive history? And the Bible uh, answers that in places like Galatians, where it says, those who come to faith in Christ are spiritual children of Abraham. And because of that, they inherit all of the blessings that uh, came from uh, Abraham that was promised to Abraham uh, through uh, Abraham's faith. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's the eternal blessings in Christ, right? That we are co-heirs with him. Uh, we actually uh, enter into fellowship with the triune God, um, Christ says, no one comes to the Father except through me. But uh, if you come uh, to the Father through me, then he makes us his children, that we can call him Abba, Father. And so that's the succession from generation to generation of spiritual descendants, that those who come to faith in him actually have these promises applied unto themselves. Anything to add to that, Charlie? Yeah, I just want to say uh, one thing about the oaths and... Um <clears throat> oaths and sanctions so i think that's another uh place where we disagree with the dispensationalists or the uh 1689 federalists but i'm not totally sure is that um the new covenant does have uh blessings and curses for obeying and disobeying um they say that um it's a i believe they say that the new covenant is a covenant of grace because um there is no uh uh, curses for breaking it or something something like that and I think that ties in with uh, the new covenant is only made up of of the elect or something something like that um, so that's one one area that we disagree with them on um, and I can expand on that later but um, yeah I like what you're saying no disagreements here absolutely yes absolutely 
No, that's uh, that's fantastic. Yes, the fact that um, with the the dispensational order, it it, it does not fully understand uh, the fact that inside of this contract, um, there is still the the law still applies from you know, e even today to the Christian. Uh, it just applies. Uh, in a different way, the fact that it no longer condemns the individual, uh, because obviously those not under the covenant of grace, those who have not given themselves over uh, to, be to belief in, in Christ, they're still under the covenant of works. And so that's uh, one of the main distinctions between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Uh, only Adam had the opportunity to fulfill uh, the covenant of works uh, as a uh, mortal man without being uh, God as well. Obviously, Jesus Christ, the God-man, fully God and fully man, uh, broke this broke this pattern. Uh, but only Adam had the ability to keep the covenant of works. So uh, there's, a, there's a Latin term uh, that uh, states posse peccare. That means uh, able to sin. Uh, and so Adam was able to sin. Uh, in the uh, inside of the covenant of works. He had free will, uh, everything, all of his actions ordained by God, and yet he also had free will to choose what he desired and what he wanted. Uh, two things that may, may be hard to uh, blend together in the uh, finite mind, and yet uh, no less true. Uh, but he was able to sin, he was able to break that covenant, and of course uh, he did sadly break that covenant. Uh, those who are... Um, now, Adam's descendants, uh, still under the first, uh, the federal head of Adam, uh, instead of the federal headship of Christ, they are known posse peccare. That is, they are not, um, I'm sorry, they are posse, I'm, I'm going to screw this up now here. <laughs> uh, essentially, they are not able not to sin. So no posse, non peccare. Uh, the fact that they can't do anything but sin. Uh, they have to uh, sin because that's what they desire. They don't have any other heart except for sin. But God requires, the, the, the law is still required. Um, it's just that they continuously reject him and they continuously decide to choose sin instead of choosing uh, God. Uh, so they are non posse, non peccare. Those saved in Christ, they are posse, non peccare. They are able not to sin because under the covenant of grace, the, the law no longer condemns. Instead, it um, merely enables us, the, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost uses the law to enable us not to sin so that when we read the scriptures, when we read what the law says, the oracles of God, God has given us a heart to please him uh, and follow the, the ways of the word and actually enables us as such not to sin. So everything we still do is tainted with sin, but we are actually able to, uh, because we have a heart that is right with God, we are able to choose to avoid presumptuous sins uh, and choose to repent and turn to the Lord. So we are posse non peccare. And then those in eternal glory, we are, we are not able to sin. Um, so that's non posse peccare, not able to sin. There we go. Um, the, the Latin scholars, whoever Whoever reads this, if you're, whoever watches this, if you're a Latin scholar, I do apologize, uh, but the, the terms posse and peccare, obviously being able to sin or not able not to sin, depending on the, uh, the state that you are in. So this covenant of works versus covenant of grace, those that are not under the covenant of grace, those that haven't trusted in Christ are under the covenant of works still, uh, the law still applies, but it only uh, condemns them, uh, as it says inside of Romans 1. So Charlie, um, with Romans 1, I'm throwing an oddball at you here, but um, in what way are is the unelect condemned? Um, <clears throat> I guess, well, for a number of reasons, uh, they're condemned for uh, 
for breaking the covenant, for breaking the moral law, um, for, um, yeah, for a, for a lot of reasons, uh, but I think it boils down to uh, breaking the law and breaking the covenant. And so they, mm. uh, we talked earlier about uh, oaths and stipulations, um, blessings and curses for obeying and disobeying the covenant. So um, there are curses for disobeying the covenant. And um, uh, one example of that, I guess, is eternal damnation. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And it goes back to, like you're saying, it goes back to those uh, oaths and sanctions um, and the fact that um, those that break those that break the oath to keep the law, they inherit the sanctions. Uh, they inherit the the um, the curses of the law, the fact that uh, the law is now uh, condemning inside of their eyes. What are the points that you want to bring out to that? Um, no, I, I think... Uh... I think you've uh, hit it on the hit the hammer on the nail pretty much with this. Um. Great. We were going. Um, we have an extra five minutes simply because we started uh, five minutes late. So uh, real briefly before we uh, close off and sign off for the evening, um, I wanted to, to mention uh, Romans 11 uh, because inside of Romans 11 it talks about the people of Israel. Uh, and the people of the, 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 the church. And so, uh, so far, all we've discussed is covenant of works versus covenant of grace, but many times you'll hear the terms old covenant and new covenant. Um, and so what is the old covenant? What's the new covenant? Uh, and are, are, is one the covenant of works and one the covenant of grace? How does this work? Well, they're, they're both under the covenant of grace, uh, the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant simply uh, means the covenant that God specifically made with the nation state of Israel in the Old Testament uh, before the reign of Christ, before Christ actually was incarnate, uh, died on the cross, resurrected, and ascended uh, into heaven. And so, it was still under the covenant of grace. It just pointed forward to Christ. So, what is the grace of the covenant of grace? It is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Well, under the old covenant, they were looking ahead to the time when Christ would come and redeem his people from their sins. In the new covenant, since Christ has come, and uh, he has once for all time uh, sacrificed himself for his people, in the new covenant, uh, we look back at what Christ has done uh, in our stead and uh, re redeeming us from our sin, paying the penalty uh, for our sin. So both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are um, tied up inside of the covenant of grace. And that essentially means that the people that were saved in uh, Israel were saved the same way that we are saved today. Uh, that is through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. They weren't saved actually by the animal sacrifices that they made. Those animal sacrifices simply pointed forward to the, uh, to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And so this truly is, uh, strikes at the heart of the gospel, the fact that Christ has covenanted with his people. He covenanted with the nation state of Israel under the old covenant, and he covenants with his church under the new covenant. The old wineskins of apostate Israel could not contain the new wine of the gospel, and that's why um, those wineskins had to burst forth. Uh, the nation state of Israel could not contain the good message of the gospel. It shot forth, and because of that, uh, as it says in the 
Ephesians 2, he, God has broken down the middle wall of distinction between Jew and Gentile so that there is no more difference uh, in the eyes of God between one and the other. Both are saved equally in his sight as long as they repent uh, and come to him in new faith. And so it would, and indeed has, burst forth to the Gentiles this wonderful message of eternal salvation uh, in Christ through this covenant of grace. So what had to happen to the old skins of apostate Israel? Well, they had to be cut down, uh, which essentially leads to the fact that apostate Israel was uh, abolished and done away with uh, in the judgment of God. Uh, but those Israelites that repented of their sins, just like the Gentiles, turned to him. And this is true also of the Gentilic nations. So those nations that reject God, that turn from him, God deals with uh, in his own time. But those peoples uh, that actually come unto himself, uh, he redeems and brings under his covenant of grace. Uh, and God is, as he reigns through his son, and as, he use, and, and, and as his son reigns through his church, um, he is essentially conquering all nations and bringing them unto himself. As it says in Psalm 2, he's actually reigning with a rod of iron. He's dashing the nations like a potter's vessel. Um, and people either are ground to powder by the cornerstone of Christ, or they are um, broken on that cornerstone and brought to repentance and actually uh, are subjugated uh, under him and under his reign. And so that is the, that is the message of the gospel, uh, the, or at least the good news that flows from the gospel, that God is redeeming uh, this world. He's bringing the peoples uh, unto himself. And of course, that leads us into another topic that we will have to eventually dive into of eschatology and um, the optimistic truths that uh, we believe uh, the, is really wrapped up in the, the post-millennial view of uh, eschatology. But I'm getting ahead of myself there just a little bit. <laughs> um. Just a couple of things I want to add. Um, if we're having an episode on covenant theology, uh, it feels wrong to not mention uh, the covenant of redemption. So when we're defining covenant, really it's or it's an agreement between two or more persons. So um, there's also the covenant of redemption, which happened from eternity past, which was a, a decree um, between the members of the, the Godhead to redeem and elect people. <laughs> and we really see that. Um, yes. And that and that's basically um, the Bible is basically uh, how that plays out uh, in time, um, and maybe a, this is a bit controversial, but I think if uh, mm. the covenant of redemption is a uh, agreement to um, redeem and elect people, well, that's sort of super lapsarian. Um, but maybe yes. maybe someone who's infra can tell me a bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. That's, yes, and that's, I think, the whole point of the superlapsarian view, which, um, again, dives into another doctrine that we'll have to discuss in further detail later on into these podcasts. Uh, but the fact that inside of the golden chain of redemptive history, God has orchestrated and ordained all these events uh, to take place from, the, from, from Adam's uh, from Adam's creation to Adam's fall to God's plan of redemption, that nothing caught him by surprise. There was never a plan B in the eyes of God. There was never, oh, oh, you know, rats, this didn't work, so I'm going to have to try something else now. Um, or, oh, no, this didn't work, so now I, now I have to try plan C or the ter tertiary plan. But the fact that God has orchestrated all these events uh, for his own glory, as it says in Romans 9, I, I, I think of the verse that says, um, what if God, wanting to make his power and his might known, created some vessels for honor and some for dishonor, and it uses the example of uh, Pharaoh. So sometimes when people are objecting to the Calvinist position, uh, they'll say, in regarding Pharaoh and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, they'll say, oh, well, <clears throat> um, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, um, but 
it was Harden who Pharaoh who first hardened his heart and then God after. But um, when you're reading through Exodus, uh, God tells Moses that he, that God will harden Pharaoh's heart first, uh, not the other way around. Um, and then we find out that Pharaoh also hardened his heart. Yes, good point. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's that's a fantastic point. So many of these um, sorts of objections, if you dive into the scriptures and use the whole counsel of God, I think um, it, it's easy to see, you know, it even says, and, and, and really that's pairing that to Romans 9, it says um, that, you know, God hardens whom he wills and he has mercy on whom he wills. And that's never, um, that's never unjust. Uh, and so maybe we can end with this point as we have about another 60 seconds. But the fact that... Um, God always gives either uh, justice or mercy. He never gives unjustice. So those whom he chooses to pass over, to not uh, change their heart, uh, he, he withdraws himself, uh, and that is you know, hardening their hearts. He's withdrawing his own presence, his own self, and because of that, um, their hearts are hardening uh, as a result, and it's that's through God's you know sovereign will. Uh, but that's, he's essentially giving them up to their own desires, uh, their own sins. Uh, and so, what do they receive as a result? They, they receive the sanctions of the covenant, um, the justice uh, of the covenant that God's you know, wrath pours out on them. And then those whom he softens, whom he actually saves, they receive his goodness. Uh, and so Romans 11 says, consider both the goodness and the severity of God on those who reject him, severity, but on those who come to him, uh, goodness and mercy. But in neither situation uh, are they actually inheriting unjustice or something that they do not deserve. Uh, those that uh, sin, those that have essentially committed cosmic treason uh, against God uh, deserve his uh, eternal punishment. But for us who are being saved, the gospel is the power of salvation, uh, and through it we are saved and inherit eternal life. Any last thoughts, Charlie? Uh, no, I think this is a great time to wrap it up, and uh, really glad with how this Excellent. episode went. We touched on some great points, and uh, really looking forward to the future of this podcast. Absolutely. Likewise. Thank you very much, Charlie. Uh, for anyone on our online audience, we appreciate your uh, tuning in. Feel free uh, in future podcasts to give a few comments in the section. And when we really get going with these uh, episodes, we plan to have our last uh, five minutes be a Q&A, a rapid fire Q&A, where we answer one question every 60 seconds. So feel free at such times uh, to tune in and to uh, post your questions. And we look forward to seeing you all on our next podcast. <laughs>